1: Brian must have had stern words for Sean about starting a show on time. Um, <laughs> should, we, should we say why we're a couple minutes late? To make this?
2: <laughs> Somebody broke into the studio.
1: Yes, that's right.
2: And got me going about high school
1: football. That's what happened. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Somebody at the top of the food chain. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> We're off and rolling. We're ready to go. We've got matching hats and everything. And by the way, I heard there was talk last week. Somebody was talking about the the greatest quarterback ever. So I decided I'd put on the jersey of the greatest quarterback ever. Roger Staubach, my wow. man, who uh, you know won a Heisman Trophy at Navy, went and served in the Navy. For a few years, you know, during the Vietnam War, and then he comes back and wins two Super Bowls and goes to five total in the 70s with the Cowboys. So I've got the, the jersey of the greatest quarterback ever. Look at you. me right now. <laughs> Look at you. I'm impressed. <laughs> right. I
3: didn't realize we were supposed right.
2: to wear, like, throwback jerseys and stuff. I would have gotten all over that.
1: <laughs> and, no, it is not a John Elway jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I uh, hope you had a great weekend. Uh, everybody who's with us right now, the chat is uh, alive and rolling right now on YouTube. I spent my weekend in Cleveland, and yes, I did have a good time in Cleveland. Went to a, a Red Sox Guardians game Saturday night. That was a good time. My son resides over there. There were you know, a couple parts of town I was like, wow, really? But um, he's, uh, he's coaching. <laughs> is that your first time in Cleveland? Uh, no, I've been there. Oh, okay. A couple times. Okay. Um, but saw different parts of Cleveland that, that I hadn't seen before. Okay. Let's just put it that way. But okay. He's my son is also uh this is his first year coaching. He's coaching a little oh. league team, seven through nine year olds. It's coaches pitch and all that stuff. And it so, reminded me,
3: wow.
1: you know, of when I did coaches pitch, you know, when he was doing it, but they also changed it to machine pitch. And uh, you know, he did a pretty good job throwing consistent strikes. Uh, you know, I always used to give him a hard time. It's like just wait until you're coaching, you know, when, yeah. because I used to get a hard time, you know, with like, you know, throwing batting practice and stuff like that. Just wait till you have to do it and you've got to throw strikes consistently. It's not as easy exactly. as it looks. I, but he, uh, he doesn't
2: have a son that's that
1: age, so what is he doing coaching little league little kids? He's testing the waters to see kind okay. of what he would think about coaching you know interesting he's, he's thinking about you know doing some more of that maybe eventually he's an engineer by trade and right. of course you see him here Wednesdays with me as well on this show you know he's got a extensive sports background and probably right. because of me and his own playing days and all that stuff as well but yeah so he's kind of he was kind of giving it a shot this year to see what he thinks these are like oh dude. really really yes. you know, and like even for that age group you know, because it's like city rec league and uh-huh. stuff like that, so it's very entry level. Let's oh yeah, put it that way. But if he's
2: dipping his toe into those little kids, then he's really got to love it.
1: But I'll say this: his kids hit the ball. Uh, okay, i say that his okay. kids hit the ball. They were all knocking the ball. You know, they they were all making pretty good contact. Did they, go they go the right like way. A, yeah, Did it's they... one of these. It's one of these things where you get like because it's coach's pitch, they give them seven pitches. You know, okay, regardless. And if you don't, you know, pressure's on the coach. Uh, just about all of his kids, you know, put we're we're putting it in play. The other team, not as much. So that's, okay, you know, if I'm if I'm going by that alone, I was I was fairly impressed with him. All
2: right, it's so. not easy to impress Sean Styers. <laughs> I know this from personal experience. So that's right. you right, got and, that.
1: And and Jesse knows that as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well I Wish he was or,
2: closer because I'd hire him as a coach in a hot second. So that's
1: right. That's right. That's right. Maybe he's maybe he's glad that he's not. I don't know. But, ah,
3: that's probably um,
1: fair. We've got a lot. We're going to jam into this show. We, you know, we've got all the stuff with the running backs. We got Link Jarrett announced as head coach down at Florida State today. So we're going to talk about both those things. Uh, we've got rapid fire. You know, with extra topics coming up a little bit later. I was originally going to get us a guest today, and I figured, you know what, we've got enough to talk about, and it's and it's. It's Vince and I. It's like, you know, well, we got we, we've got plenty. We've, we've got plenty. We've got comments, again, you know, from from listeners, viewers, and all that. Hold it. Brian says I'm fired. Well, I guess I've just got to wrap up the show, and <laughs> that's going to be it <laughs> for today. He's he's still sore about that Elway stuff, I guess. But Well, you know, that's, that's yeah, <laughs> not surprising. Uh, but hey, don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on YouTube. As well as the other audio platforms, you know, whether it's Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast, throw us a rating. Subscribe to the podcast, helps us out quite a bit. Glad to have you along with us today. We're only a week away from the fourth of July, Vince. Crazy. I didn't really realize. <laughs> you know, until it
2: creeps up on you. And I the only know. reason I know that it's coming up is because next week is moratorium yeah. and you can't have con you know, in high school, you can't have That's contract true. with your coaches. So it's like yeah. the one week off. Which means my kid's gonna be around a lot more often than necessary, so I'm sending him off to a camp so he can go away for a while. But yeah, that's the only reason I realized it was the Fourth of July. I was like, "Oh my gosh, next week's moratorium!" Like it, it is. That means it is. That literally means summer's halfway over. That's what know. it means, and that's but yeah the worst
1: part of it for you. That's got to be a bummer. That is that's the right. worst part. And all part of the other it. teachers. That's yes. Right. Yeah, but we've got 68 days. 68 days until Notre Dame and Ohio State, which really, to me, I don't know about you. It doesn't seem like that much either <laughs> right now. No. 68 days away.
2: No, that's gonna be here before you know it. And we're gonna be doing, you know, team previews and position previews and all that stuff rolling in here. And because fall camp starts in August, which is a little over a month away. It's usually yep. like kind of that first week of August neighborhood, uh depending on how they want to do things. It usually True. backtracks from the first game, but that's gonna be here real quick. And you and I are going to be watching some fall practice. That's what's going to happen.
1: That's very true, too. Of course, that leads us into today's topic, because 68 days is not long, especially no. when you consider w- what just happened here just a few days ago with the horrible news of Judarian Price and the Achilles rupture sure. and the surgery. And
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. you need Indeed.
1: He's, you know, likely out a good chunk of the season. Definitely out for, you know, most of it. If he's lucky, maybe he's back yeah. for something at the end of you know, the game it. or something like. No, not at all. Not, I wouldn't I count on it. it. Yeah, at all. But you know, we know what a loss this is because yeah. he had a great spring. Yeah, we expected to see a lot of him this season, but now you've got both Jadarian Price and Logan Diggs out. You know, because Diggs has the uh, the, the the labrum, the shoulder labrum, right. as well. He <laughs> in all likelihood, will be back at some point, you know, once the season starts, but they're not going to start, you know, the season with Logan Diggs. They're going to start this season, or at least training camp anyway, with three healthy scholarship running backs. Of course, you've got Chris Tyree, you've got Audric Estime, and then you've got the freshman, Jabron Payne, and... You know, we were all, you know, I, I don't know all, but, you know, there were some people, I think, who were like, oh, you, you know, you're signing Jabron Payne, you know, where does he fit yeah. in and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Pretty good thing they went out and signed Jabron yeah. Payne, as it turns
2: out, huh? Absolutely. No, no question about it. I, I think when we were doing some of the uh, position, uh, not previews, because it was at, it was like post-spring, we were talking about each position, right? And we were talking about the running back position. It was one of the deepest, most talented positions on the team, yeah. and it was one of the ones that we were most excited about with five guys who all could potentially play a role, you know, and I was really excited about this running back group. There's no question about it, and, and I think the biggest question mark was who's going to be the, you know, the quote-unquote lead back, you know, what is it going to look like, what's the rotation going to be like, all of these right. different things, but those were great questions to have. Like, I had no problem with those questions because whoever you plug in to those various different spots... I think it was going to be successful, right? You had five guys for what uh, Coach McCullough calls eight starting positions in the backfield, right? He's breaking right. it down eight, to eight, eight different, different jobs, spots, basically. right? Yeah. And, you know, one guy could take more than one, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there was going to be a spot for all five of those guys in and some And that's kind of what
1: fashion. he talked about. It's like, I've got eight jobs. I can mix some yeah, and do all these different I, things.
2: That yeah. was exciting. Like, I was really excited about that. And now you've gone from five down to three. That's a definite issue there's no question about it
1: yeah I mean it's a it's an issue you know one going through training camp because it is sure. a contact sport obviously how they manage training camp I think becomes a different issue with just three scholarship guys I mean now obviously you know you have some some of your walk-ons a guy like Chase Ketter you've got Sam Asaf. you know out there as well you know so like
2: Justin just, Fisher
1: yeah, yeah yeah that's true Justin Fisher the uh former mishawaka quarterback he was a triple triple option Mm -hmm. guy and you know you know we we've seen him the last couple of years that guy's put together he's built like a running back so yeah you know like so getting through training camp doing some different things you know you've got some bodies who can help you out situationally but you still have to navigate training camp one and make sure that everybody gets through healthy that's always the first goal and i mean you know not that it look at Maris Leofow last year. It, it very unfortunately did not go well for him. There's always going to be some guys dinged up. And when you're talking about the running back position, you know, you're talking about a guy who's gonna, you know, a position where guys are gonna be getting contact all sure. the time. Lots of know, it. Or, and even just cutting and just you know, so all those different things you definitely don't want, you know, guys to to quote unquote play safe. I guess because that you know then you get into well you're playing half speed whatever I think you you risk injuries even more but there are questions just getting through camp I sure. think with with three scholarship running backs don't you
2: well and I think that that's where you have to give some of these walk ons and some of these other guys opportunities to, for some of those carries I mean I as a running back you don't need a ton of carries to get ready for the season you you need the mental side of it obviously you need to know your tracks you need you know there's certain things obviously that you need to know. But there's no reason to get banged up during training camp. There's just no reason for it. And, you know, when you're doing 11 on 11, you can get a couple of carries here and there, and that's fine. But you don't have to really get the carries high for these guys in order for them to be effective once the season starts. I, I don't see that at all. Now that's again, that's where, and I don't want to say that they're expendable, but that's where some of those walk-ons come into play, you know, give them some of right. those carries when you're working on half line and you're doing some of these different things where you need a guy to run the ball. That's where those guys are very, very handy to have around. And that's why you have them around, frankly, and you're not going to be moving them over to the scout team until the season starts or until the week before the season starts. And so during fall camp, those are the guys that should be getting a lot of those carries. I, yeah. I don't, those guys, the the other guys, the scholarship guys, are D one running backs. They know how it feels to carry the ball, so you know they'll be fine as long as they understand the offense and you you work the mesh. You go, you can work the mesh with the quarterback without getting hit. You can do that all day long without getting hit. So they'll get that done. They'll get their track done. They'll they'll work on working behind the offensive line, things of that nature. But there are ways to. It's like having a pitcher during the preseason, right? You clock his his pitches. Uh, you're going to clock their carries just like you're going to clock the throws on a quarterback. All that stuff is going to be figured out. I think you can do it in a very intelligent way. So that part doesn't necessarily concern me unless they're like, Oh, we got to have those guys carry it every time, which I don't see that being the case. I think they're going to be smart about it. So I'm not as worried about it, but there's a lot of carries to be had in the preseason. And so you have to be careful.
1: Yep. That is very true. And uh, Craig Sebring in our YouTube chat. Uh, was reading my mind because this is the question I was about to broach because now you've got three scholarship running backs on the roster. Should Notre Dame consider a grad transfer if they can still find one? I'll just say, because of a lot of the things that you just outlined and that we outlined, my answer is yes. Because as of right now, okay, you're expecting to get Logan Diggs back at some point once the season starts. But that is still not a guarantee. And as physical and as demanding as the running back position is, you just don't know. You know, I mean, look at the, the 2015 season when Malik Zaire went down, Deshaun Kaiser becomes the quarterback. Well, that was the most probably high profile of the injuries that year. But, you know, like remember, CJ Procyce got a chance because of another, you know, like there, there was a long list. It was like nine, 10 different guys who went down to season ending injuries. It was all next man in. You just don't know. And I just feel like if you can find a grad transfer at this point, one, that's going to be hard because you're sitting here at the end of June. But if you yep. can find a grad transfer running back who is willing to come in, you know, not really necessarily know what his role is going to be, not have anything promised, but but know that you've only got three scholarship running backs, I, I feel like it makes a lot of sense as an insurance policy if you can go out and find someone at this point in the
2: game. I have a couple of issues with that. Number one, is it too late to bring in a grad transfer? I don't know the rules. And so that would be my first, I thought that there was a date in the spring where you had to figure out transfers and all that stuff and, and allowed to be eligible for this season. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of throwing that out there into the ether. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. Number two, and Sean kind of, Sean Kane actually brought this up. Notre Dame is already over the scholarship limit. I don't know if they have scholarships to give out to transfer guys and if they're going to give one out they're gonna to have to take one away from somebody and so that is an issue that i think that they would have to explore sure. and i wouldn't really like that to be honest with you um they've already kind of figured out who's going to be who and to strip somebody of a scholarship i think that and would you be do have focused. to
1: be back to 85 this year because of the you know the the you know the covet exemptions kind of go away you know like and all that different kind of stuff so you do no yeah that, and i I, for I sure
2: To me, I'm comfortable with three and then the walk-ons. I don't. I'm comfortable with that.
1: I was gonna okay, and I can see the other side of it as well. You and yeah, like because well, here I'll just go ahead and throw this up right here. Um, I don't know what that what that username is. Seems hard to convince a legit running back to come here to be the third, fourth string. I'm sure we could get a body, but would that body help the team outside? A practice, And I'm not talking about somebody who is quote unquote legit because they would come in sort of with the understanding that you are going to be coming into training camp, the four string running back. You know, again, no promises, not like you're expecting this guy to be the stud. But what happens if if one just one more guy gets hurt? Sure. And you've got two. So how confident are you in Chase Ketterer potentially getting? live reps, for example. Now you and I have seen Chase Ketterer in, you know, in action in high school. And we got to see a little, you know, we saw him on, you know, some, some coverage last year when he got to be, you know, we ended up being the scout team player of the week when he was prepping for Navy and all that, they gave him some reps, I think like on kick coverage and that kind of stuff, you know, so he got to do some of that kind of stuff, but it's different, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that he could probably split out and, you know, go, you know, in the slot or, you know, do some different things like that as well, but he's a really good athlete, but what does that look like now? If you're actually asking him on game day, you know, to to go out there and take live reps in a game, you know, if, if somebody else is hurt.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely. And I, what I will say is that, so if you got the three guys and one guy gets hurt, so now you're down to two scholarship running backs do I feel comfortable using one of those like a, a Chase Ketterer or a Justin Fisher or whatever? Do I yeah. feel comfortable using those guys for what they would be asked to do? Basically running zone read between the tackles? Yeah, I would be comfortable with that. I, I really wouldn't have a problem with that as long as you still have, you know, the two guys taking the majority of those reps and you bring in one guy to maybe spell one, you know, somebody else or or what have you. Plus, You've also got the opportunity of Avery Davis. If he's healthy, you could put him back there.
1: I'm leery about Avery Davis because that's a guy who's coming off an ACL as it is. You know, like he's, it's like, because I had thought about that where, you know, he's obviously played some running. He's played virtually every skill position there is to play on either side of the ball at this point, right? But. Because he's also coming off an injury, and then you you know uh, you're going to move him back to running back as well, and and then you're also thin at, at wide receiver still. So that's no, that's fair. That's what would make me I, you know kind of uh, pump the brakes on that a little bit.
2: I am 100% biased because I've seen Chase and I've seen Justin, and I know what they can do with the football in their hands. And right. I trust them. I trust those two guys. I really do. And again, if I'm if I'm being offered the opportunity to either use those two guys. Or a transfer, I'm using those two guys okay. because they're already there. They know what we expect. They're Notre Dame guys. I'm not wasting not wasting. I'm not using a scholarship on those two guys. They already understand that they're preferred walk-ons, etc. Those are the guys I would feel comfortable with. Yeah. Now, another injury comes in. And into they're play, real smart or, as well. I mean,
1: you know, so again, I think absolutely. they're gonna, you know, they're you know, Justin's just getting on campus and doing that kind of stuff because he's an incoming freshman, but you know, Ketter's been around for a little while. I think either one of them is going to absorb virtually anything in the offense that you want them to run. I agree with that. You know, yeah. I agree that, that they can do certain things, but you know, again, like if it, if it came to an emergency situation where all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're getting guys banged up out there that, that would be, I guess my biggest concern. Sure. Uh, oh, and,
2: and you're taking a chance. You got to get to that point first. You're,
3: right.
2: you're taking a chance within with the injury thing is the scariest part of this. Because you could make it through a whole season with three running backs, no problem. Right. The problem's injuries. If one of those guys get hurt, now we're talking a different scenario. So basically, in my mind, you need to get to October. You need to get through September, and you got to get to October, and October's right around the time that Logan Diggs should come back. Well, now you've got four again.
1: Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully.
2: No, right. Absolutely. Right. I've got October kind of circle for Logan Diggs to and come it, back and, so, you
1: know, and hopefully if you get to that point and if maybe somebody else is dinged up, but Diggs is able to come back that you kind of trade right. one for the other. And, you know, but again, it's and like you can
2: kind of work him back in, yeah. et cetera. Yeah.
1: Right. You've really got to manage some things though. I think when you're talking about three, run, right, And, you know, cause like the other thing too, is the fact the impact, you know, two different things. One, I, it's it's definitely a plus that you've got a running quarterback, a mobile quarterback, where they're going to absolutely. be able to get something in the running game from Tyler Buckner, where he can kind of uh, substitute, you know, for for some of that kind of like we saw with with Brandon Wimbush a few years back, you know, and that kind of thing. Yes, where like absolutely. that can like you still need running yards, but. You know, his presence on the field to begin with, assuming it is him, but you know, mm-hmm. we we do assume that it is him, his presence on the field, sure, as we saw right away last year, will automatically open up some things that were not necessarily right. open when Jack Cohn was on the field. So oh, that'll no help question. Me, no yeah. question,
2: no question. And and the other thing is, and somebody mentioned it, uh again, Sean Kane, he says Davis and Lindsay should get the uh ball on run plays anyway. He's absolutely right. Look, we've seen what Brayden Lindsey can do with the ball in his hands on an end around or, you know, a jet sweep, things of that nature. I would like to see all the receivers be able to do that. Some, You know, um, I, I think Avery Davis could be one of those guys. I There are ways to parse out the runs around the guys that you already have. And we right. have been at practice. We have seen them working on stuff of, of this nature. And I don't think I'm, you know, giving away the playbook here, but we – they're going to be getting other guys in the mix when it comes to the run game. And that's back when they had five guys healthy. So yeah. that's part of the playbook. And so I think that that you've got Tyler Buckner. So it's not just a power run game with the running backs, right? So you're going to be able to parse that out into different areas. And I think that's only going to help the situation.
1: Right. Sean, Michael says, Sean, love the show and the name. Thank you for your insight and perspective. Vince, <laughs> as always bringing the heat. Thank you and <laughs> Sean Michael, I don't know if that's your first and last name, but my middle name is Michael. Oh, Sean Michael, we are you know on the same page there. We're simpatico with all this. So
2: (laughs) absolutely, and I I I would I do want to address this comment right here. It says we may need a tight end to act as a fullback for a carry here and there. What what I will say to that is there are guys on the roster who are listed as fullbacks. For the first time in a long time True. Uh, at Notre Dame. And those guys are Justin Fisher, Davis Sherwood, and Barrett Liebertrit. So all well, three of those was, guys are walk-ons, but they're all listed as fullbacks.
1: I didn't realize that Justin Fisher was, was listed as a fullback already. Yeah. But again, he was a he was a triple option quarterback at Mishawaka yeah. High School. And Vince and I have called Mishawaka games for the last few years. So we have seen we basically we saw. Almost, well, because of COVID, I, you know, I missed parts of one season. You were there sure. for good chunks, though, still. But, you know, we, we've we seen pretty much all the snaps that Justin Fisher yeah. has taken. This guy is built like a fullback as well. 100%. So it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, and, even though he was an option quarterback, yeah. it makes sense that he would be listed as a fullback for Notre Dame.
2: And somebody asked me on the message board about Justin Fisher and his ability to carry the ball, etc. His sophomore and junior year, he was much more uh, svelte. I guess. And he was running away from guys. I mean, he, he, his speed was killer in this, in this neck of the woods. Right. Yeah. And then his senior year, he put on what we'll call armor. Right. I mean, he bulked up big time. I think he lost a little bit of his speed to be honest with you. uh, But he looked more like a fullback than a quarterback. I mean, he barely fit into his Jersey. I mean, he, I mean, he was,
1: he was gun show.
2: And he was bouncing <laughs> off of dudes because of that. You know what I mean? And so right. a fullback makes a ton of sense at the next level for him. He's going to be a super athletic type of fullback. And he's not afraid to not bubble some guys too. So I yeah. like that move, to be honest with you. And so, yeah, if they're, if they're planning on using the full – got three guys listed at fullback. If they're planning on using a fullback, that's kind of exciting too, to be honest with you.
1: You know, now the other part of this, because you – start off with a thin wide receiver room Mm -hmm. to begin with. I mean, we like the front end guys, I think, you know, Braden Lindsey, Lorenzo styles, Dion Colsey, Jaden Thomas. And then again, Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins, both coming back from injuries, you know, so you've got some guys who can play there, but again, you've got two guys coming off of injuries, you know, Lindsay who's been, you know, banged up from time to time, of course, in his career though, you know, healthy last year. But I guess my point is, When you look at Chris Tyree, like especially when you look at what he did in the Fiesta Bowl as a receiver, six catches for over 100 yards, career day as a receiver in that game, and we're all kind of counting on him to factor into the passing game as well. You know, just like when you – again, when you're talking about three guys out there and then you kind of start talking about you're really looking at that GPS closely. Absolutely. Because because you don't – you know, because – while you want him to factor in, and because they are thinner at wide receiver, and kind of how you move these different pieces around, you know, there there might have to be some give and take on just how much you know he is able to contribute in some different ways if he's going to be the lead running back in this right.
2: Well, and that's that's a really good point. And we've Brian and I have talked a lot in the past about Tyree and kind of where his magic number of touches is that, you know, maybe 10 to 14 a game kind of a thing. And and if that's still going to be the case, you're going to have to rely on those other two guys a lot more. And and by touches, it's carries, it's catches, it's all of that different stuff. And if you want to keep him kind of at his best, I think that's kind of where you need him to be. If he's getting more than that, well, now it starts to affect the return game and everything else. And I think you make a really good point about Avery Davis. You want to keep the wide receivers as much wide receivers as you possibly can. You still want to use the running backs in the slot, moving them around. You have to continue to be multiple. You do not want your playbook to be hindered by the personnel, right? You mm-hmm. still want to be able to move guys around. So you're going to have to be smart about it. And, and all the tech that Notre Dame has at their disposal is going to allow them to do that. I, and I trust Tommy Reese and and, McCull- and Coach McCullough and, and um, Coach Stuckey and, and you know, the whole group. I, I trust those guys to do it right. Uh, but it's going to be a balancing act. There's no I question so. about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and then you, I, I think you just mentioned a second ago the kickoffs. You know, like, do you want Chris Tyree as much as a home run threat as he is that we saw last year? Do you want him back there returning kicks if you're down to three scholarship right. running backs? You know, right. does, does does that open up to somebody else? I, I think that it probably does. You know, so it's it's going to be really interesting just to see again, yeah. how they manage this as, is, as is, you, know, you open up with a big game and then you kind of have some time where I think, especially maybe when you look at the other opponents and, and how you want to go about attacking them, you can, you can, they're definitely going to be some opponents you can sort of manage reps against. Oh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. Especially, you know, we talked about getting to October, right? I mean, outside of Ohio state, huge game. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Huge game. Uh, September's not that difficult. Um, if I remember off the top of my head, so you can definitely manage carries against those, those opponents, uh, you know, in September and let me, let me pull it up just so I'm speaking from truth here, okay. but you've got Ohio state, you've got Marshall, you've got Cal and you've got North Carolina, right? That's your September slate. I, you know, I'm not high on where North Carolina is going to be this year. And I, you know, that's a different conversation really for a different Either time, but especially yeah. against Marshall and Cal, those are games that Notre Dame should win going away. So th- th- those are opportunities to get some other guys involved, to put guys on a pitch count, so to speak. You can definitely get away with certain things, right? Now, BYU is going to be tough on October, and then you get Stanford, UNLV, Syracuse in October. Okay, well, welcome back, Logan Diggs. Let's ease you back in <laughs> against – Yeah. You know, I don't think Stanford's going to be all that great. And then you got UNLV and Syracuse. Okay. Then we go November 5th to Clemson. So hopefully you're back to full strength and you've got four guys. And now we're not even talking about
1: it anymore, right? Yeah, so, I just, you know, like you talk about Stanford. It's like when you start looking at their national, like their their rankings, you know, like run defense, run off right. all those, diff- they were like so bad. It was like, back, <laughs> it was like pre-harbor. Like they had literally hadn't been that yeah. bad. In most of those stat categories, since before Jim Harbaugh got there, you know, yes. it's like they really sunk back to what Stanford was for a long time. Yeah, so you're 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 absolutely right. You know that because even if they improve, I just can't see them making that much improvement from one season to the next, especially right. just the way their recruiting has gone in in recent years as well. So, but I guess that's you know we'll we'll, we'll talk more. We'll about cover that. them. Don't Another worry. Point. We'll yeah. cover
2: the Fighting Trees. That's right. That's right.
1: All right, so th- that's kind of the running back situation right now. Again, there's a lot to navigate. There's a lot of time as well. They do have some bodies, you know, that they can figure some things out and it's going to be really interesting because again, the two you know, skill position groups offensively, running back, wide receiver are are both there's there's just enough question marks now because of these injuries at both of them that it's going to make things It's going to make things really intriguing for a bit, just to see kind of how they decide to operate. It's kind of like almost back to a couple of years ago when, you know, they were so run heavy and all the tight ends, you know, the multiple tight ends and stuff like that, because, you know, and that's something that we haven't really touched on. Does this, you know, maybe this means that we end up seeing more tight ends than we thought we were going to see. Not yet.
2: Not yet. I don't think not yet. I, I, I just, um, I don't think anything changes with the way that they want to do things with this scenario. Now, if more injuries occur, then obviously you have to adapt and you have to adjust. But if that's the only season ending injury that we need to talk about, then I don't think anything changes. I, but, I don't see Tommy Reese being in favor of the three tight end set as their base, as it has been in the past. I, I just don't that that's not Tommy Reese. You're not, he's an NFL type guy. His playbook is very NFL centered in my opinion. And you, I don't know when the last time you saw a three tight end set in the NFL. You know what I mean? I just, he'll do whatever he has to do to win games. I will say that. He, he's not an idiot, okay? But I don't see that being, hey, first down, let's go three tight ends. You know, I don't I don't necessarily see that being the case. But we'll see. I mean, I I, I don't see the playbook changing a whole lot right off the bat. Unless yeah. something crazy happens between now and then.
1: 68 days until the season starts and again that means about what five five six weeks until training camp starts so boom
2: yeah i mean it's going to be july on friday so is we're (laughs) this is this is approaching rapidly which is exciting no doubt very exciting
1: all right so link jarrett's gone after Uh, three years in a college world series he's uh he was introduced as the florida state baseball coach this morning they held a press conference for him down there link jarrett goes home and you know so that leaves Notre Dame now to find his replacement yeah. and you know there have been a few names floated around the most prominent one being the one that we probably hoped was going to oh. win, but it didn't quite end up that way What have
2: been storybook
1: our man Paul Maneri the former LSU and Notre Dame head coach he retired about a year ago at this time and had him on the show he was my first yeah. guest very first show Paul Maneri and uh, you can still find that on our YouTube channel Right now, and you know that the the interview that I did with him, he talked glowingly about Notre Dame, talked glowingly about Link Jarrett. You know, these reports started propping up, popping up Friday that he was the primary, yeah, uh, you know, sort of focus, or at least you know that one of the initial candidates for the job. But uh, I I talked to him Friday, and I know some other people obviously did too. But I talked to him, and he said not coming out of retirement. He's not <laughs> ready to jump back into the grind and all that stuff does not want to come out of retirement, even for Notre Dame. So unfortunately Vince, that's not happening.
2: That stinks. And I, I totally understand where he's coming from. He has devoted his life to college baseball. It has had all the success that you can ever want in a college baseball situation. I mean, in my book, he's a hall of famer. Um, That would have been awesome for him to walk back in the door at Notre Dame. Obviously things have changed since the last time he was here but it would have been pretty darn sweet to see him kind of take the mantle and then hand it off to somebody else maybe a few years down the line. But I totally understand where he's coming from. I'm sure retirement's awesome. I'm sure golf is awesome. I'm sure the weather down in Louisiana is awesome. He doesn't want to trade right. that for South Bend. I get that completely. As long as it's
1: not hurricane
2: season. Yeah, it's well, awesome. solid point. <laughs> solid point. Uh, but, you know, when you when you told me that that was a possibility a few days ago, man, I was fired up. But, you know. Yep. Well, well, let's see. Let's see where things go.
1: Me too. I, and I, I, was kidding with him because uh, Parisi's was always one of his favorite local establishments. I was like, Parisi's wasn't enough to bring you out of retirement, Paul. Come on, you know. It's like somebody's got to up the ante. I guess no doubt, but no doubt. <clears throat> so I, th- I thought what we do is kind of run through, you know, maybe who is who isn't a candidate, kind of thing. There's someone who at the start of the day I thought would have been a pretty good candidate, but it sounds like we can cross him off the list. That's Maryland head coach Rob Vaughn, because just a couple of hours ago, literally, Maryland announced they've signed him to a contact tract extension through 2027. He had just led Maryland to you know the best regular season they have ever had. They've been in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years. He's only 34 years old, so there's like all these good things going on there and you know maryland's in the big 10 compared to notre dame and the acc and all that stuff so it would have seemed like you know a nice leap for him but they signed him to a contract extension so it sounds like that one's not happening um another one i think you can cross off well i would i would okay. say with 99 certainty <laughs> a, a name that has popped up the last couple times this vacancy here at notre dame has opened and that is cliff godwin who is the head coach at east yep. Carolina. He's a former Paul Maneri assistant. He was with Paul his last year here at Notre Dame in 2006, went with him to LSU from there. He went with uh, another pulmonary assistant, Terry Rooney, when Rooney got the head coaching job at central Florida. So he was there okay. for a couple of years. Uh, Godwin was also at Ole Miss with them uh, the last time they went to the college world series before this year, but, He has already been, I didn't even realize this, eight years already, he's been at East Carolina. He's 304, 151, and one with three straight American Conference championships. It's been like four super regionals that he's been to. They're in the NCAA tournament virtually every year. It's, you know, I realize like if you're going to compare brand names, Notre Dame to East Carolina, like, you know, an ACC versus American, it sounds like a step up, but One, East Carolina is Cliff Godwin's alma mater. Two, you've got the weather down there. Three, he has been uber successful at East Carolina. Again, it's like four super regionals and in the NCAA tournament virtually every year. And, like, we talk about facilities, you know, being a thing. The facilities in East Carolina, you know, you combine that with the weather. It just blows Notre Dame away. I'm sure. So, yeah, they hosted a super regional this year texas beat him, but you know like the place was packed and the you know the place is probably at least twice the size of notre dame's and you know they've got great weather down there he's got great you know recruiting hotbed and all that stuff and again it's his alma mater so i just i don't see cliff godwin leaving east carolina to come to notre dame so that's a shame because
2: i I remember when he was here at notre dame he's a really really good coach i mean that would be he is that would be a, a huge pickup for notre dame if that
1: was the case yep he's still like early 40s as well, you know. So, another one that I've seen floated uh, that I think I, I would again with 99% certainty say cross off the list and that is Jim Penders at Yukon simply for the fe- you know a couple of different things. One, again, Jim Penders is a Yukon alum. He's had he's been the head coach there since 2004. They've been to the NCAA tournament 8 times. He took them to their super uh second super regional this year. They they played Stanford in the super regionals, but he just turned down Michigan last week. And I guess he's got a connection with Michigan AD Ward manual. So he turned down Michigan, got a raise to stay at UConn, you know, released this statement saying, you know, I love UConn, I'm not leaving UConn. So if he's going to turn down Michigan and somebody he knows, I just can't see him, you know, making the jump to Notre Dame. So yeah. Now there's another one. Again, this guy has popped up the last couple times the Notre Dame job has come open. His name is Christian Mahalik. He's a Notre Dame alum. He graduated from Notre Dame in 93. So he played for Pat Murphy, pitched in the big leagues for a few years for for four different teams. Um, And he's currently a, a pitching instructor in the Miami Marlins organization. Now, his name has popped up again the last couple times there's been a vacancy here I guess he has interest in the job. I keep hearing this, that Mahalik has interest in Notre Dame. I don't know him. I've heard really good things about him. You know, talk to other former players who do know him. You know, there there's like nothing bad about Christian Mahalik. But I guess my only point would be this. If you want to be a college head coach, why aren't you coaching in college somewhere sure. right now? Because I don't think, you know, your biggest qualification, you know, like – I get it. It's your alma mater. You want to come back and all that stuff. It just seems like if you really, like if, if coaching at Notre Dame is your goal, you should be a pitching coach someplace else in college right now, figuring out how things work because he's got a ton of, you know, big league and professional pitching background on his resume, but he has no college on his resume. So I just find it hard.
2: Yeah. You know, to see a how guy he's gonna,
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So, and that's, It's interesting to me when you bring up a guy like him, because I feel like Notre Dame is in kind of a position now they're, they're, they're in a great position right now coming off a college world series. I think they've got some momentum uh, and that's going to be helpful in the, in the search for a coach, but any coach is going to do his due diligence and look at the Notre Dame situation. And if anybody listened to link Jarrett's press conference this morning, I mean, he kind of outlined the difficulties of coaching at Notre Dame. I mean, and we'll get into all that, I'm sure, in a little bit as far as how he left and all of that. But it's not easy to coach at Notre Dame. And not many guys have had a ton of success at Notre Dame, right? right. Now, they've again, they've got momentum, and that's great. Uh, but it's going to be – that this would be a very difficult job to jump into without any kind of experience as a head coach. I will say that. I but Notre Dame also needs to kind of find that diamond in the rough as well because of well, everything that's at Notre Dame.
1: Let's let's say and, and I'm just throwing this out there. Let's sure. say Chuck Rostano okay. leaves to become the pitching coach at Florida State. You know, Chuck's been here for 12 years. His wife Lizzie is the associate coach for the softball team. But let's just say Chuck Rostano leaves to become the pitching coach at Florida State. And then whoever becomes the head coach here at Notre Dame and doesn't have a pitching coach, then maybe that's, you know, kind of uh Obviously, you'd have to go through the interview and whoever the head coach sure. is would have to be comfortable with him. But that, you know, maybe that's, you know, kind of the entry in, you know, because, again, this guy's been around pitching for a long time. But it's just, again, to, to make that leap from, you know, pitching instructor in an organization to head coach of a college baseball team, that's that's a big jump.
2: It's a huge leap. Yeah. It's a huge leap. No there's question so
1: many. It. There's so many things, you know, one being recruiting, but. So many other things that you have to be aware of running a college baseball program. And I just think that that would be a lot. Just because you played in college does not mean that you're necessarily ready to jump in and be a head coach. And again, I've got nothing against the guy. I don't know the guy. I've heard good things about him, but that's just too big of a jump for me, I think. Yeah. So who could be the candidates? You know, the, the two current assistants right now, Rich Wallace and Chuck Rastano. I think you know both make sense as candidates. I would I would say this, and I'll I'll, I'll kind of you know. Rich Wallace has been you know he's basically a hitting coach, in the three years Link Jarrett was at Notre Dame, he's got 16 years of experience as an assistant, so he's been around. You know, right now he's been at uh, he's been at Creighton, he's been at Jacksonville, he's been at High Point, so he's you know again he's been around. More importantly, now he's got all that experience, and he's been here the last three years working under Link Jarrett. And I think the biggest benefit, like if you're talking about Rich Wallace or Chuck Rostano, the biggest benefit, and Rostano has been the pitching coach now here for 12 years for two different head coaches, Jarrett, and Mick Aoki. Right. The be- biggest benefit for either one is they are both familiar with Link Jarrett and what he did, sure. here, Link Jarrett's system, because sure. because. I'm not sure. Link, Link Jarrett – Siri was talking to me there. Link Jarrett yeah. and the turnaround that he did had more to do, you know, than than just a coach coming in. It's like, oh, these guys were ready to win. You know, he jumped in and, you know, they just – you know, that's that's why he was successful. I mean, he talked from day one about our system. And you don't hear baseball coaches say our system. You know, yeah. it's like football system. That's one thing. You don't hear baseball coaches say that. But, you know, like so, there was so much – Intention with what they did with everything. You know, like talking to some players and stuff like that, seeing their, you know, watching them practice, you know, he was always, you know, like stopping, like, okay, what were you trying to do on that pitch? You know, uh, just a lot of individual focus on everything. And the advanced scouting that they did was so beyond anything that they used to do, you know, prior to him being here, you know, I, And and even in college baseball, you know, there is advanced scouting, but like they like there's a reason that those guys were seemed like they were prepared for just about every pitcher because, you know, they had pretty detailed scouting reports. He talked about how they would give the players as much as they wanted. But, you know, like, okay, you're going to face this pitcher. Here's what you should be expecting in this count. You know what? What kind of pitch? All these different things. Location, you know, look for this in this location of the plate, you know, lock in on a certain, you know, again. So I guess my point is Rich Wallace, Chuck Ristano, they were there every day to know what the focus was, you know, with Link Jarrett that really put these guys over the top. So if, you know, if that had a lot to do with the success they had, you know, so I, I think that that would be the biggest benefit to keeping either one of them around as the head coach is they know what it took to get this ship turned around at Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's always good to have that specific, you know, how they did it. And you just kind of pick up the torch and, you know, you can tweak things here and there because now your program and things like that, but you understand what it took because the last guys that were here weren't able to bring Notre Dame to where they are now. And Link was able to do that in a very short period of time, frankly. And I mean, even in the COVID shortened season, they were already off to a great start that year, right? And unfortunately, they obviously had to cut the season short, but they were on fire, you know, and they picked up right where they left off in 21 and then again in 22. So, you know, things were headed in the right direction. He did it very quickly. And guys with experience under that program, I don't see that as a negative, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Larry asked, what about facilities upgrades for the baseball program? And, you know, according, you know, in the video that Link Jarrett had that outgoing video that he, and again, we're going to talk more specifically on that here in a few minutes, but he talked about how Jack Swarbrick would have done anything to get him to stay. So I'm assuming that means that he would have been willing to, you know, go out and, and, you know, find some people to, to donate money. I, that's that's what it's going to take. You know, if, if you care about Notre Dame baseball and you want, to see them you don't want to hear these these you know conversations you know assuming they're in the ncaa picture over the next few years you don't want to hear well why aren't they hosting this or you know why are they going on the road for that you know i would say if you know donors who want to donate some money to notre dame baseball and i'm talking about considerable money to notre dame baseball the only way they're going to get any facilities upgrades at notre dame is if they get that cash in hand. I mean, that's how all facilities work sure. at Notre Dame. Well, They've got to have the cash in hand before yep. they're breaking ground on anything.
2: And I will also say this, and this is not a giant secret, okay? At Notre Dame, there have been guys that have wanted to donate to the baseball program. But the way Notre Dame is doing things, they also have to donate an equal amount to the softball program. And that has turned off some donors. And that that's just a fact. I, I've been told that by people in the know. And that they're like, well, I don't, I want to donate to the baseball program. And that has turned some guys off. And that's, that's a problem in my opinion, well, but I know it's title nine and all that and I get it, but that's and We talked
1: about this before. I mean, you know, like, because the charter, why, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't, uh, you know, Notre Dame baseball charter more? Well, because, you know, and this is from when I was, you know, my time doing play-by-play for the program, if, if, if you're going to pay to have the baseball team charter, the softball team also has to charter, you know, it's just what you're talking about right there. So you've got to donate to both. And I guess what I don't understand about that, maybe it's because baseball already had the baseball stadium, but softball obviously got Melissa cook stadium built because of a, a, you know, a huge donation from Melissa cooks family. But, you know, so that's, you know, but that is more recent, I guess, you know, so like, I don't know. I don't Again, that's I, that's it, Notre Dame's own policy and and Right, that's frustrating and I get it. over yeah. there. Yeah, so I I think that that's maybe something that uh you know, like when you look at that sort of middle ground between Melissa Cook and Frank Eck, you know they've got those the, the older batting cages and stuff over there, you know like maybe if you rip all that out if somebody were willing to donate to both then you could make some kind of common structure that, that both sides could use, you know, whether it's sure, you know, seating on one side or, you know, you know, suites or whatever it happens to be. So some kind of concourse, you know, where, you know, where there's kind of a common grandstand or something like that. It's like that, that, you know, that is, that's, that's an unfortunate obstacle, but it's one that I think would benefit both in the long run because, you know, because like, softball has only hosted the, the one NCAA regional in the time that Deanna Gump has been the head coach there as well. And I don't know. It's going to take money either way. Yeah.
2: B- bottom line, it's going to take money and it's going to take, uh, you know, directed money and, 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 one thing Link Jarrett said was, you know, Jack Swarbrick was going to do everything in his power to keep him there. And so, you know, I'm sure that facilities had something to do with that. And he kind of mentioned that in his outgoing speech. And, you know, I believe that. I do believe that. And I, I hope that that's true. And I, I I have no reason to believe that it's not true. And so, you know, hopefully we're going to see some changes in, in the near future.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm going to rip through kind of a short list. We We still got some rapid fire we've got to get to here tonight vince but uh here's kind of a, a short <laughs> list of some other guys who i think would be okay potential candidates at notre dame central michigan coach jordan bischel he's only 41 years old he's been the he- a head coach for 10 years he had a, he's had a lot of success at every stop along the way nii nai national tournament a couple of times division two tournament a couple of times he's been at central michigan for four years the only time they didn't go to the ncaa tournament was the COVID year. So yeah. Tons of success. Uh, he has already interviewed at Michigan. I haven't heard anything as far as, you know, what could be happening there because Eric Bakich, the Michigan head coach, of course, left for Clemson. Uh, Justin Hare, the Campbell head coach, another guy who's only 41 years old. He's been at Campbell for eight years. They, you know, they've uh, won the Big South, been to the NCAA tournament the last four years. He Just like both Cliff Godwin, who we mentioned earlier, and Link Jarrett, He's a guy who came up when the Clemson search came open. So I think, you know, he's kind of an interesting one. A lot of success down there in the Big South. Uh, Steve Owens at Rutgers is another guy. 56, predominantly kind of an East Coast guy. But, you know, again, a guy with success. He went to the Division Three College World Series four different times. Uh, took LeMoyne to the Division II NCAA tournament a couple of times. Uh, took Bryant to the NCAA tournament three times. And then now at Rutgers, he's in his third year there. And they went 44-15, and 15, took second place in the Big Ten this year, didn't get an NCAA tournament bid. And I know that facilities at Rutgers are not as good as Notre Dame's. Like, whatever you want to say about Notre Dame's facilities, I know for a fact Rutgers aren't as good, even though they've tried to do some upgrades recently. So I think uh, Owens out there at Rutgers would be a potential interesting Candidate for Notre Dame.
2: All right, I'm, I'm. I've written those down, so you're okay. You're gonna have to, yeah. It better come from that list, okay? I, I'm all.
1: gonna. But again, you know, it's like I don't. It's. I, I, I'm i really curious to see kind of what happens like with with Rich Wallace and and Chuck Rostano because I think that they are both guys who have been assistants for a long time, who are you know, and again, they were a big part of the success in these last three years under Link Jarrett, and you know, they kind of know the secret sauce. So I think that they would be, I think they're both really intriguing potential candidates to become a first time head coach because of what they've helped this program do over the last three years.
2: Sounds good to me. I, I, I love Notre Dame baseball, frankly. And so I hope that whoever it goes to, it's a good choice. It's not just a knee jerk reaction and they, they get somebody who is going to carry the torch (laughs) and, and move forward. So I I'm excited.
1: So, uh, (laughs) <laughs> YouTube Salty Salty Virginia Peanuts wants to know who Siri is suggesting I don't know but Siri is really driving me crazy two different times she is you're gonna and she's ready to do it again just because I said her name
2: <laughs> She see, she's gonna suggest me and you and we'll go ahead and we'll go. take over the baseball program together there and uh we'll bring it back baby don't worry just book the hotels in Omaha now
1: all right uh, Vince, let's do some rapid fire. Fill in the blanks. Okay, Speaking why of not. Notre Dame baseball, the way Link, the way Link Jarrett left Notre Dame compared to the way Brian Kelly left Notre Dame was blank. Uh,
2: completely opposite. Um, <laughs> more mature. Um, uh, I, I mean, how many different things could you put in this blank? I mean, he, you could write a book about the right way and the wrong way to do things. And those would be your poster children. Okay. Because Link did it a hundred percent the right way. He explained it to his, his, you know, to his players the right way. You know, it never came up beforehand. He was totally transparent. And even in his introductory press conference at Florida State today, he brought up Notre Dame and how much he loves those guys and the way that they played in Knoxville. And even when press were asking him questions about Florida State, he would go back and start talking about Notre Dame. Like, it is very clear that he – there was one job he was going to leave Notre Dame for, and that was to go home to Florida state, which I don't think anybody would, would condone him for. And he did it hundred percent the right way. I, I, I was very impressed. And I, I guess I would say that I didn't expect anything different from link, from what I've been able to gather about him and knowing some people that know him and things of that nature, I would have expected nothing different, but it was still refreshing to hear everything that he said over the past few days and, and what he said this morning and, all of the above. I, yeah, he's a great dude, man.
1: No, I, absolutely. Night and day different. And, you know, yeah. he said all the right things, hit all the right things. And, you know, the fact that he stood up there in front of his team and, you know, talked about they're his family, but he's going to Florida State because it's also his family. And right. I, you know, and maybe maybe that's like if I'm gonna play devil's advocate I really would be curious like if link Jarrett's family like his real family his parents still live in Tallahassee right you know, he did go to Florida State so he does yeah. have that connection and he grew but, up like, in Tallahassee he, I mean yeah, he right just, if you yeah. took his literal literal family out of the question you know what would, would he still be going to you know it's, that's that's it would have been a more difficult think, decision right. Because it was, it was. I mean, it made it very easy for him, sure. you know, to like, like to soften it with with the Notre Dame, you know, his his Notre Dame players. It's like you're still going to be my family, but this is literally my family. So it right. it, it definitely helped soften that well, blow. You know, when when he positions it that way, it's like I'm literally going, you know, because he talked about. You know, my parents and my wife's parents, yeah. they don't have other people around to help them out where they, because they're obviously sure. getting a little bit older That you know, they don't have people that definitely helps soften things when, you know, when you, when you're telling a team that you're leaving behind, you know, because no ma- typically no matter what, no matter how good a terms a coach thinks he is, he or she is leaving on, you know, there's, there's. Kind of going to be some some lingering sure. you know, hard feelings from from some of the kids, but it, it definitely helps when he has his literal family, his flesh right. and blood that he is going back to to Florida State. Well,
2: I think it's twofold, to be perfectly honest with you. I think the the literal family, his his parents and his and his in laws are are there, and he talked about that this morning. I can drop in on my parents, I can drop in on my wife's parents, you know, all of those yes. different things. But I think you add the other level of the fact that he did go to Florida State. He yes. was an integral part in three world series teams at Florida State. His wife was a cheerleader at right. Florida State. I right. mean, even if they didn't live there, that's his school, you know what I mean? And so I think that's part of it as well. So if the if you take the parents out of it, you still have the fact that he was a four-year starter. Absolutely. At, you know, that that's still a huge part of it, you know what I mean? And and right. I think so if you take the parents out of it, if you if he didn't go to school there, if his wife didn't go to school there, then you still have the fact that Florida State is an upgrade from a baseball perspective. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah, it,
1: it was interesting that he also talked hmm. about, hey, maybe we need to do, you know, a little uh, little little work here at, at Dick Hauser Stadium. <laughs> you know, even though as sure. we've talked about on this show, it's had a, a renovation more recently than Frank oh. X Stadium here. And he mentioned it. Frank like, Eck
2: houses eighteen hundred fans. Eighteen 1, uh, hundred—that's a bit of a difference down there in Florida State. I, yes, I, it is. I purposely went and looked up their their stadium, and it's a little different than Notre Dame's. Let's just yes, put it, it that way.
1: Yes, it is. But uh, you know, he again—he he handled things first class all the way. You got to the College World Series, limited the distraction that that was after uh, Mike Martin Jr. got fired. I believe it was June 10th that Who yeah, used to June be his 10th. roommate,
2: by the way. Right, right. They like, were roommates a real whole other friends.
1: thing. Yeah. And so that you know, yeah, it's it's like it, there's so many levels to this because yes. you know, you've got the legendary Mike Martin Sr. was there for 40 plus years. His son takes over the program. They both interviewed for that job three years ago. Right. Junior ends up getting the job. Link Jarrett ends up coming here. Right. And now, three years later, Mike Martin Jr even though they got to the NCAA tournament the last two years, he was fired essentially. You know, I think what triggered it was Link Jarrett's name was connected to Clemson when the Clemson job came open, when Monty Lee was fired. His name comes up there, and Florida State's like, we're not letting this guy get away now. Look at what he has You know, this is obviously even before the the College World Series. Look at what he has done at Notre Dame. We're not letting him get away this time so they fire Mike Martin Jr. and boom here's Link Jarrett after the College World Series back at his alma mater
2: which has to be tough I mean you're one of your really good friends gets fired you take his job and you're supposed to go to an introductory press conference talking about how you're going to change everything from what your best friend just did that and you know and he just received the national coach of the year that's named after the guy's dad who was his coach like there's just so many levels to this whole thing and it's just It's crazy. I mean, I'm happy for Link. I mean, he did a really good job at Notre Dame. Of course, I'm sad that he's not there, but I think he made the right decision to go back to Florida State. And I just, I really, really hope this is a great opportunity for Notre Dame to hire the right guy to come in and continue on with what Notre Dame is doing. That's going to be tough.
1: You know, we had Scott Lawler, a former Irish assistant coach on last week. He talked about how when they hired Link, they went out of what they had done in the past. Because like you look at the, Really, the you know any of the previous coaches. Paul Maneri came from Air Force. Dave Shragg came from Evansville. He was you know predominantly you know like Midwest type Midwest, coach. Sure. Nick Aoki was a Northeast guy from up there, and uh, you know Boston, Boston College, College is right? where yeah. he came from. Yeah, but he had he had been at um, Columbia, I believe. Yeah, one of the other Ivy League schools is you know so it's like Northeast. You know so they had kind of gone. Yeah. Hiring these Northern guys before and link Jarrett, you know, from, from the minute you heard his voice, it was very obvious. He was not from the Midwest or the Northeast. He was a Southern guy. And so he brought, he brought something completely different to Notre Dame baseball. So if they, you know, like if they don't hire one of these assistants, I would think that they really kind of want to hit that. You know, there's so many good yeah. coaches in that Absolutely. part of the country, I think, to draw from. So. Okay, fill in the blank on this next one. It's blank that Arch Manning's commitment tweet to Texas has received a record 221 plus thousand likes on Twitter. In other words, that commitment tweet has the most tweets of any commitment tweet ever. I don't know exactly who keeps track of this stuff. Yeah, I heard seriously.
2: It. Good I question. Heard it
1: this morning, but what do you think about that?
2: That is a testament to what his uncles have done, uh, you know, in their careers. That's what it is. Um, I, it, it, look, is he a good quarterback? Yeah, he's a good quarterback. There's no question about it. Is he the number one overall recruit in the 23 class? I don't think so. I, I don't. I think his last name bolstered him up there, and this has been his recruitment has been a ridiculous whirlwind the whole time because of his last name. And that's, you know, it's like he's not
1: even the son of Eli or No, he's the nephew, you know, it's it's like Koopa, you know, Koopa's son, the guy who played wide receiver instead of quarterback, this, this is really just setting me up for, I I just want to say Notre Dame fans have some work to do, you're supposed to be one of the biggest fan bases out there, so the next time, you know, when these (laughs) big You know, CJ Carr's Carr's tweets didn't get 220. (laughs) They didn't even get 100,000 likes. It's like, you've got some work to do. Okay, so go back on CJ Carr's tweets. And start start liking it, baby. Let's go. That's right. And the next time some big recruit commits to Notre Dame, you need to do some work. And, you know, boost these tweets up there. I think you're right, though, Vince. The Manning name went a long way, and you throw in Texas and all that stuff. And that was like his
2: first tweet ever, by the way, was his commitment to Texas. That was his first tweet ever. Yeah. Just crazy. Good for him. Enjoy the Lone Star State. (laughs) See what happens.
1: That's right. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he
3: knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces. Plus 24 seven customer support. His venue never misses a beat. Call quickgrainger.com or just
0: stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.
1: Okay, so in yesterday's College World Series, first of all, did you watch it? No. Okay.
2: As soon as Notre Dame was out, I was out.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm that so, guy. So I hope you understand. I did. I understand okay. what was going I, on. I, I sent you kind of the transcript of what we're going to talk about here. I hope I explained it well enough. So a runner from Oklahoma, he dropped down a sacrifice bunt. He's called out for running inside the baseline in foul territory because he ran into the first baseman who was trying to field the throw over to first so he was originally called safe they went to instant replay because Ole Miss challenged it he it was obvious that he was you know outside of that running lane which is to the right of the baseline he was inside the baseline in fair territory it was obvious so he was called out because he runs into the first baseman's arm my question Mm -hmm. do you buy or sell that baseball and maybe even just college baseball but I think you could make a case for it at other levels as well because of plays like this. Sure. Should they just go to that double bag like softball has, so that the fielder has one bag? Did they the, do that in college softball? I believe so, but I would have to double. Okay, I,
2: I I wasn't sure. Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
1: So again, the fielder has one bag. The runner has that outside. You know, mm-hmm. you you're you're basically incentivizing them staying, you know, outside, outside in that box rather than in fair territory. What do you think?
2: Let me preface this with a story, Sean. Okay. Story story time with uncle Vince. Uh, As the head coach uh, this year, I had a game where my first baseman uh, had to reach back into the baseline for a ball that was up the line and his forearm snapped in half in a collision, broke his arm. My first baseman broke his arm and a play not unlike what you are describing right here in the College World Series, okay? Right. The only difference was the kid was in foul territory during the collision because my kid reached over the foul line. So he was safe. I mean, it was a clean play. It was just very, 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 very unfortunate for us uh, that he broke his arm halfway through our season. And with that said, I still say I do not want the double bag. I don't like it. I'm selling it. I don't – I. Uh, They they give you a running lane to the outside of the bag, and that's fine. You barely have to touch the bag in order to be called safe at first base on the outside of the bag, and you can run through it. So I don't need a whole extra bag getting in the way. We don't need to paint it orange. The first time I ever saw that was when I went to my future father-in-law's softball game when it was a bunch of 60-plus-year-old dudes playing softball, and they had the double bag, and one was painted orange. I, don't, I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. No, I, I will sell that all the way. And in the off chance that there is a collision, I guess that's part of the
1: game. See, I'm going the other way. I, I kind of like the idea. And, yes, they do have it in college softball. I was just okay. checking while you were Very doing it. Very good. Well, maybe – now, somebody else says they <laughs> don't. Maybe it's international. But I just found some some photos okay. that tended to say that they did. So I'm not – I think they should just because of the whole, the whole thing, because you just, you know, you, you end up with these guys who don't necessarily intentionally, you know, run inside the line, but they end up inside the line. Well, if the bag is on the outside and they give them a bag on the outside, they will stay on the outside because you're talking about, you know, more than you know, a foot of, of difference right there. I, I guess it's an odd play. You know, you don't see it a whole lot, you know, but again, like when it, you know, like Players can, you know, the first baseman or pitchers can get spiked at first base. There are different collisions over there sure. at first base. So I just say, why not? You know, like what difference does it really make if you just have another bag on the inside? So,
2: I'm I'm a crotchety old man. I'm the old man in the balcony know, yeah. for the Muppet Show. I just don't change my game. Don't change it. I like it the way it is.
1: Going back to the last question, the the the, the comment is already you know passed on the on the YouTube chat, but. You know, we were talking about the uh, Arch Manning and the likes and all that yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. on Twitter. And, and uh, somebody said, well, maybe Notre Dame fans are just smart enough to stay off Twitter. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a good retort, but I've been on Twitter enough to know that's not the case. <laughs> there are a lot of Notre Dame fans uh, 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 on Twitter. So we know this for sure. We know this for sure. All right, fill in the blank. It's blank that since 2006, the cluster of states that includes Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Basically, the footprint, the predominant footprint of the SEC. Of the SEC, yeah. Yeah. Has combined to win 24 college football and baseball national championships since 2006.
2: (sighs) Crazy, I guess, is the word I would use. Uh, I I would use. But then again, I'm not all that surprised. More, I guess, more baseball than football. As far as, but then again, I mean, the SEC is king in both. So, you know, I don't like it, not even a little bit, but 24 in those two sports is pretty darned impressive. And it just tells you where the talent is and those guys are staying home and they're going to win a lot of football and a lot of baseball using those guys that are around those schools. If you're a Northern school, you need to recruit, and you need to get those guys to leave the warmth and come up to the north, and and all of those different things, and that's not an easy task. Those guys want to stay home, and when they do, they win.
1: And I mean, you're talking about 16 years and 24 championships for for that footprint alone, right there. You know, it's obviously Alabama's won a lot of them. Georgia just won one in football. Vanderbilt, you know, basically, you know, like you rip through the SEC, and they're a, you know. You've got South Carolina, LSU, Vanderbilt has won, too. You know, in college baseball that I'm talking about, both Mississippi schools just did it. So it's like, you know, everyone from Mississippi who wasn't in Omaha last year was there this year. Yeah, right. Mississippi State won it last year, and Ole Miss won it this year. And, I mean, that's another story unto itself is that coach, Mike Bianco at Ole Miss, he wanted Palmineri's job when Paul retired at LSU last (laughs) year. He didn't get it, and so he stays at Ole Miss, they were the last team in the NCAA tournament this year, and they went end up winning crazy. the whole thing. Yep, crazy.
2: I, there was a stat that they were they lost in the first round of their conference tournament. I can't remember where they came in in the SEC regular season, but I mean, neither one were good. And then they're the last team into the College World Series and or into the playoffs, and then they end up winning the whole thing. That, that's yep. impressive.
1: Yep. Back to that conversation we were talking about at first base, salty Virginia peanuts. A uh, a pretty consistent contributor on this show he said he's uh had to put a lot of dislocated i've had to put a dislocated foot back on someone that's a common injury for the base runner at first base and you're right Ugh, that's why it's just like that sounds awful that, you're supposed to be on my side salty come on man i think that's something you can avoid if you just go to that extra bag so that's why i'm in favor of it I'm surprised, you know, like, what would that kid you were talking about, what do you think he would say if you asked him? Would he say, come on, coach, give me the extra bag at first base?
2: Uh, the kid that broke his arm, you mean? Yeah. Uh, exactly. He'd probably be in favor of it, and I'll have to ask him, actually. He, he's busy with football workouts right now because he's and- a all-state offensive lineman, but Yeah.
1: That could have happened to that kid yesterday, the Ole Miss first baseman, because yeah. he basically had his forearm extended, yep. and the runner just ran right into that yeah. forearm. That's, you know,
2: It was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. You could hear that thing snap throughout the whole stadium, man. That is that is something I will never forget, and we actually broke two bones in that game. That's the first oh. time ever. I've, I coached a lot of football, and I've never had two broken bones in one game, and as a baseball coach, I had that happen, so –
1: for I'm me. for avoiding broken bones. I'm for avoiding <laughs> broken bones. Any cost. We're
2: not deep <laughs> enough for broken bones, Sean. <laughs>
1: <what that> <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna do it for tonight. Vince and I will be back tomorrow. We just plowed right through this. Yes, we you did. Wanna, do you want a guest tomorrow? Should I find should I find us a guest? I mean, it's up to you. We can uh we don't need one. Okay. All right. I wanted to I wanted to put it on you and see what you
2: That's, think. I say we don't so. need one. That's what I say. You give me all day. See, with with this show, what the best part about it is you give me all day to get all fired up and worked up about stuff.
1: <laughs> That's we, right. don't, we don't need
2: a guest. We don't
1: That's need very a guest. True. That's yeah. very true. Because like you know, we used to go on in my old show. We'd go on earlier, and it's like it's kind of the same thing. It's like, come on, six o'clock needs to get here. <laughs> no, know. You know? I'm so. telling you. I'm telling you. That's right. Good time. As always. And of course, don't forget, like us on the YouTube page, subscribe on the YouTube page. You know, if you're uh, kind of an aftermarket listener, I guess, you know, you're not watching uh, live or watching the YouTube videos. Of course, you can find us on all the different audio uh, podcast platforms as well, whether it's Spotify or Apple, wherever you can like and subscribe and rate and do all that stuff. But, uh, Late in the show, but oh, we got a thumbs up from D Rock. Hit those likes, Irish. All right, that that's like right. Button. Hit the likes, hit the likes. Yep, absolutely. Much appreciated. Much yep. appreciated. Ladarius, great show, Irish Nation. You guys are just pumping each other right now, but that's all right, too. <laughs> a lot of community, a lot of community. That's in right. that Love chat. the community. We have a lot of fun in there. That's right. All right, Vince, I will talk to you manana to all yes, of sir. our listeners and, and viewers. We will talk to you tomorrow as well. We'll have a lot more notre dame football conversation i'm sure we'll have some more baseball stuff to talk about as well as uh we go through this with link jarrett down at florida state now the baseball team looking for a new coach and again as of right now 68 days until notre dame ohio state so can't wait looking forward to that all right we will talk to you tomorrow ib nation sports talk